Scripture reading today comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, and verse 12. And we read, therefore, the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrows. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. All men are like grass, and all their glory like the flower of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Would you pray with me, please? Father, um, we thank you for the wonderful gift that you have given to us in your word. We thank you, Lord, for the power that's contained in your word. We thank you, Lord, that in that word is everything that we need for our salvation and to live the life you've called us to. We thank you, Lord, that in your word you reveal yourself and that you feed our souls and that you guide us and you strengthen us. And it's our prayer today, Lord, that as we gather around that word, that you would speak to us, and we would hear your voice and know that it's your voice, that we would embrace what you have to say to us, and that we would endeavor to put it into practice in our lives. And Father, as I... um, As I often ask, I do pray that you would allow me to disappear behind the wonderful cross of Jesus Christ, that he and he alone would be exalted in our midst this day. And it's in his name that we offer our prayers. Amen. So yesterday, I, uh, I helped Ann uh, hang some curtains in Addie's room. Uh, we had to put up a new rod, and so we opened the box, and we looked at it, and I was trying to determine what tools we needed, and Ann read the instructions and the list of tools that came with them. Of course, I'm not a wimp, so I never read the instructions, you understand. And uh, anyway, they were pretty much the tools that I thought that we needed, and uh, then we discussed how she wanted them to look, and I held them up in place for her to see, and once we had done that, I thought I was ready to go. And uh, I told her where I was going to put the brackets, and then she pointed out to me that that really wouldn't work because she might actually want to close those curtains. And in my defense, I have to tell you, I thought that they were simply decorative, and we already have a blind there, but I had to change the way I was going to do it. I was going to have to hang them differently if they were going to uh, please my wife, and so I needed a couple of other little things to help me do that. I needed a straight edge, and I needed some sticky notes so I didn't have to put pencil marks on the wall. And once I got all that done, I was able to put those curtains up, and I had a happy wife. And later, when Addie came home from work, I had a happy daughter. 
And so I, I used the tools and the things uh, that, uh, that I had there to get that job done. And some things um, just make it easier, while other tools are essential. You really can't do the job without them. Some things you just have to have or you can't do it. I needed a drill. I needed a screwdriver. You can't take down a healthy oak tree, for instance, just with your bare hands. You need an axe or a chainsaw or something, anything that can cut that tree. And so to do the job, you need the tools. Now, we've been talking the last several weeks about our marching orders as a church and as individual Christians. We've been talking about the Great Commission, and uh, we've been talking about our role in fulfilling it, and Jesus has given us a task. He said that all authority had been given to him in heaven and on earth, and that we were to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that he's commanded, and he is with us to the very end of the age. And the last week when we were together, we made that personal. We talked about how we, all of us, can have a part to play, and we do have a part to play, in reaching the world for Christ. We acknowledged that while some people have gifts and abilities beyond what most of us have, some are called to be evangelists and some are called to be missionaries, still we understand that each one of us can do our part and share the message of Jesus Christ. We can share our faith with other people. And we used a little saying that Webb and Sharon Lippert have uh, used for years, and, and we use that to kind of capture in just a few words how each one of us can do our part in fulfilling the Great Commission. We said, make a friend, be a friend, and bring a friend to Christ. And that's really something that every one of us can do. There, there are other things that we can do uh, in obeying Jesus and fulfilling that great commission. Uh, we can pray. We ought to pray for missionaries. We, we pray for people who are outside the faith. Uh, we can support missionaries. All of those things are good. And yet, those things by themselves aren't quite enough. We need ourselves to be personally involved in telling other people about Jesus Christ. You can do more, but you really shouldn't do less. You can do more, and all of us can, and all of us should, even missionaries and evangelists and pastors. We ought to be making friends, being friends, and bringing friends to Christ. So this morning, what I want to do is I want to talk about a tool that is really essential for you to have in this process. You need it, really, in order to bring a friend to Christ. But before we um, talk about that tool, we need to understand something. The first thing we need to understand is, is it's your willingness, that means your heart, that God wants before anything else. That's what he wants from us to start with, our heart, our willingness to do what he says and to obey him. Now, in VBS, uh, the kids had done a story, and, 
uh, one of the one of the four that they did during the week, and it was about the widow and Elijah, you know. And uh, Elijah comes to this widow and and uh, asks her, "What are you doing?" And she says, "Well, I'm gathering a few sticks, and I have a little bit of bread. I mean, a little flour, a little oil, and I'm I'm going to make a, a cake for me and my son, and uh, I'm going to eat it, and then we're going to die." And uh, Elijah says, "Well, you know, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take that oil and those sticks and." Uh, and the flour, and, and I want you to make some bread for me. And if you do that, then God's going to take care of your needs. And so that's what the woman did. She took it, she made it, and the flour never ran out, the oil never ran out, and they were able to make it all the way through the famine. And see, what that woman did was she, she gave her heart to God. She was willing to do whatever it was that God asked her to do. And that's faith. And, um, and, 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 and that's what God wants from us before anything else. And you see, there is a sense and where you don't have to know anything to, to, to do that. You, you, all you have to know is God and be willing to do it. I mean, look at new believers. That is like when someone first comes to Christ. They, they can't wait to tell other people uh, what's happened. And they don't know much. They, they couldn't turn and find verses in the Bible. But they know what's happened to them. And they can't wait to tell other people about it. So I was 25 years old when I first put my faith in Jesus Christ. And, and two weeks later, I'm talking with my brother. And I'm trying to tell him about Jesus. You know, and I'm sharing what I know. He saved me. I'm a sinner. He saved me. He came into my life. I, I know I'm going to heaven, you know. And my brother says, well, well how do you know that? How, how can you know? And I, I said, well, I don't know what to say. But I know who does. And so I took him up to George's house. And George was there and J.D. Weir. And they started talking about the faith. And then they opened the word of God up and began to show my brother from this word what it meant to put his faith in Christ and to come to him. And that's what God wants from us. He wants that kind of willingness. And you see, once he has your heart, once...
chapter 2, verses 22. I mean, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 22 through 23. I want you to join me there. I think they'll get it up on the... Uh, on the overhead, uh, and, uh, and what this passage does is it points out that the Word of God is absolutely essential for someone to come to know Christ. And so verse 22 really sets the stage for us. It gives us the context. It says this, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. And I'm going to stop right there. Now, you, you know, we don't often talk about this, uh, this thing in these words. Normally, when we talk about what he's saying right here in this text, we we say we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. But Peter's putting in a little different words. He's saying we have obeyed, right? Uh, We've purified ourselves by obeying the truth. And, And when you think about it, you begin to realize that the message we have, the gospel we have, is really a call to action. So we we tell people the bad news, and we we tell them the good news, and what they need and what God has provided and God's called them. And so, so when we hear that call and we answer, we're obeying him. And then, of course, we want to tell other people. So it begins by saying, now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth, now that you've accepted Christ, now that you've come to him, so that you have a sincere love for one another. See, the first result of coming to Christ is that we love other Christians. And, um, and we see that, again, if we think about new believers. I remember that first Sunday I went to church after I put my faith in Jesus. I'm in this church, and I'm looking around, and I think, these are all Christians. These are all people who know Jesus. These are people who, who have had that same experience that I've had, you know. And, and, and it just was such a good thing. I just, it just felt so good being in their presence and with them. And sometimes, even after we've been Christians for a long time, maybe we move and we, we are looking around for a church, you know, and a lot of good churches out there, but we just don't quite find one that fits us, so to speak. And then one day we walk into this place and we feel like we come home like, we felt when we first come here, you know, and, and instantly there's this, this is love for other people. And I think that's a sincere love. I don't think there's anything shallow about it. I think it's sincere. I think God gives us a good start by giving us that kind of sincere love that just naturally flows from that relationship with Jesus Christ. And then Peter gives us this commandment. He says, uh, now that you've purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Now, I, I've used this illustration before, but I just love it. You're on an airplane, right? You've heard stories about this. You may have had the same kind of experience. And, and sitting next to you, it turns out this person is a Christian. And you begin to talk, and you, and you discover that you're both believers. And, and, and there's this connection. There's this bond. And you just think to yourself, yeah, I, I, I really, really love this person, you know? And I, again, I don't think that's shallow. But then you find out that that person sitting next to you on the plane that you've been having this great relationship with is moving to your city, and he's moving to your neighborhood. In fact, he's buying the house next door to you. And then you get to know him, and you hear his dog barking all night, and you hear the music that his kids play, and sometimes you hear him arguing with his wife. And you see, that's when you love them 
And so Peter tells us as believers that this sincere love comes because we belong to Christ, and, and then we can do more, we can love each other deeper. But then he goes and he tells us the way that that happens, the reason that we're able to do that at all is in verse 23, for you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of Christ. You see, the word of Christ is how a person is born again. Every single person who has ever come to Christ has been born again because of the word of God, which is a seed in them. And that word of God is a seed that's imperishable. And when it takes root in our hearts and our soul, then we also will live forever. And what Peter's doing here is he's really building off of the teaching of Jesus. And you remember, Jesus tells his parable and the farmer goes out and he's sowing the seed, right? And he's casting the seed on the ground. It's by hand back then. And some of the seed fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up, right? And then some of it fell on the rocky soil and it sprung up quickly, and, but it died because it didn't have any root. And some of it, the weeds grew up with it and the thorns and thistles and choked the word out. And some of it fell on good soil, right? And and what we know is that Jesus is telling us that the word of God is a seed. That parable is about something plain and everyday, and yet God is using that to show us a spiritual principle. And so that seed that fell on the path is gone. There's no seed, there's no life. And that seed that fell among the rocks sprung up a little bit. It was like a a flash in the pan where maybe you think kind of an interest in religion or a dabbling in it. Or or then the cares of life choke out the word and it doesn't become fruitful. And so what do you do? Well, you keep on sowing the word. You can't judge what's going on in someone's heart. You don't know. You, you keep planning. You keep sowing the word. You keep right on doing it. And, and God plows up those paths. He, he plows up the rocky ground. And he, 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 he weeds the patch because he wants his word to take place. And maybe that very word that you're saying is what God uses to get into that person's heart so that it can be planted and take root. Jeremiah says that the word of God is like a fire. It's like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. Jesus says that God's word is the truth and the truth His word is what will set you free. Paul says, after the preaching of the word, people will fall down in repentance because there is power in the word of God. Now, please, don't misunderstand me here. The word of God is not like magic. It's not like some kind of an incantation. People have to respond to it. It it, it, it doesn't force people or compel them to come to Christ. If it did, you know what we'd do? We would put speakers on the outside of our cars. We would pick a neighborhood and we would drive through that neighborhood all day long. And when they came and arrested me, then James would get in his car and he'd do the same thing. Jim would follow and Bob and Dan until that whole neighborhood was converted. But that's not the way that it works. It's not like that. There's power in the Word of God, and it is necessary for a person to be born again for that Word to be preached to them. But most of the time, that Word comes delivered personally by somebody like you and me. 
Sometimes it comes in a message like this. Sometimes it comes in a Sunday school setting. Sometimes in a Bible study. Maybe sometimes you hear it in a broadcast or a book. But, but even in a broadcast or a book, usually there's someone back in that, that person's life who has come to them and shared Christ with them directly. The word is powerful. And it's delivered by people like you and I. Now, it's true that there are some people who are not yet ready to hear what you say. Even Jesus said to the disciples, he said, I've had a lot to say to you, but I can't say it all to you now because you're not ready. But the Holy Spirit's going to reveal it to you. But we're not good judges of where people are. We don't know what's in their heart. And so all we can do is we can, we can try to share the faith, right? There's not a person in the world who would have predicted that when Saul of Tarsus was on the road to Damascus, going there with letters to arrest Christians so that he could persecute them, there's no one who would have predicted that he would have, on that road, become a believer. We don't know what's in someone's heart. And, and so all we can do is share the faith. And if they're not ready, then the door will close. And God, if you are trying to walk with him, will guide you. He'll show you. You'll be sensitive. You'll know. And so what we're saying here is is if you give your heart to God, if you're willing, then realize that the word of God is an essential tool to bring someone to Christ. And I'm going to say this to you. I'm going to tell you, I said that, that, that most of you here, if you've been a Christian even for a short time, you know enough to start. I'm going to try to demonstrate that to you at the end of the message today. What I want you to do right now is just simply appreciate that there is power in God's word and it is an essential tool. And when you share God's word with someone, you're doing one of three things. You're either planting seed or, as we saw Paul mentioned last time, you're watering seed or you're participating in the harvest. One of those three things is happening when you share God's word. Now, there's another aspect to the word of God and the power that we're a word when it comes to sharing faith. You see, there's power in the word to bring people to Christ, but there, there's power in the Bible. There's power in God's word also for the messenger. You know, we can think of it maybe like this. We, we, we can think of that word of God as a tool or seed that brings people outside the faith in. And if I can call it that, we can think of that word of God as a kind of a skill that we might get for those who are already in the faith to use that word. And, and yet it's more than a skill. You see, the word of God affects the very heart of the messenger your heart and my heart. You remember when we talked about making disciples, we talked about a number of things that began with an M. We, talk, M, and we talked about the message, right? You remember the bad news, the good news, what are you going to do about it? And we talked about the master, that's Jesus, and it's the master who actually makes the disciples. But then we talked about the messenger, that's you and I, it's people like us, right? And what we said is that Jesus describes us as salt and light, and, 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 and we are um, his 
messengers. We're his representative on this earth. And, and he makes his appeal through us. And, and, and so we begin to realize that Christ is seen in us. And, and see, as we spend time in God's word, that image of Christ is formed more fully in us. And, and we're changed. We become more and more like Jesus Christ. And that draws people, that attracts people so that we can share that message. And you know, there are so many places where you can turn to talk to about the power of the word of God and the believer's life. I, I hardly even knew where to start as I was thinking about this. Psalm 119, verse 9. How shall a young man keep his ways pure by taking heed there according to thy word? You know, King James, I almost had it, and I haven't said it in King James in 30 years, I think. You know, Verse 11 says... I've hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119, thy word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Romans 12 tells us we're not to be conformed to the world anymore. We're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that happens because of the word of God. Jesus tells us that man does not live by bread alone. And so we're going to look briefly tonight, this morning just at one place. We're going to look in John chapter 15. We're going to look at verses 7 and 8. And night Jesus is betrayed in the upper room discourse. And he says this. He says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. And so God's word abiding in us opens doors for us our prayers are answered. It says there, whatever you ask, you'll receive. I want you to know he defines that. It's not a statement that stands alone. He, he, he defines it. He helps us to understand it. If you're, if you're really abiding in him, it's going to affect what you ask for. Verse 8 helps us to know that. It's to the Father's glory that we bear much fruit, showing ourselves to be my disciples. And we're not paying for Mercedes-Benz here. We're praying for God's fruit in our lives. And if we abide, then that fruit is going to come and it's going to be demonstrated in us. It's going to prove, help people to know and understand that we are the disciples of the living Christ. And so that word of God bears fruit in our life, and I think it bears it in two different ways. The first is is what it does in us, how it changes. I've already talked about that. You think about uh, the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's what God works in us. It's a fruit of the Spirit, but that shouldn't surprise us because the Spirit and the Word, the Father, they're one. The Word in eternity past, dwelt with the Father and the Holy Spirit. He was incarnated and Jesus walked the earth. And here in these pages, the word of God is inscripturated. And so it changes it. It bears fruit in our lives. But the second way is that we see people brought into the kingdom when we're walking with Christ. Or at least we're, we're part of that process. And as we live, we share our faith. So we become more personally involved in the Word and, and reading it and studying it and sharing it, we see people come to know Christ. 
You see, as you spend time in God's word, um, as you continue to buy, abide in Jesus, you change and you become more like Christ. And you're also becoming more familiar with the word. You, you grow in your knowledge and you become better equipped. And, and then you find things happening in your life. You'll find as you've been reading the word, I've made that commitment every day you're getting up before you leave for work or at night before you go to bed and you've made this commitment and you're reading God's word and you're being faithful in it and you find something happen one day, you find this verse that kind of sticks in your mind. It jumps out at you. You just become aware of it in some way. You don't know how it applies to you personally. You don't see any way it is, but it's there. It's in your head and you see it. And then something happens that day or the next day or the day after that. Somebody asks a question or makes a comment that verse is right there. You're able to answer the question. You're able to address their need because God has been preparing you for that encounter. And that happens when you're faithful to read God's word. And it's needed as a tool. And then you find else other things happening. You find not that just some verses stuck out in your mind, but you get in a conversation with someone, and you begin saying things. You begin quoting Scripture almost verbatim, things that you haven't memorized, that you couldn't sit down and draw up a list of, and you find God drawing those things out of you in that conversation. They're there, and God pulls them out of you. See, this power of the Word of God. And, and it changes us. The word of God lives in us. And it's, and it's powerful in the life of the unbeliever. And it's necessary seen for eternal life. As we let the word of God dwell in us, we become better equipped. Uh, we are better able to help someone. We're better a- able to walk with them. We further down the path. We can answer more questions. We can offer more food for the soul. We're more aware of people around us and their needs. Because there's power in God's word. As I say to you, get busy. Don't wait. Get busy. Make a friend. Be a friend. Bring a friend to Christ. Give your heart to God. Be willing. Make, make, make that friend. Follow it through to the end. Share your faith. Share God's word with them. And the truth is, my friends, you already know enough to start. I'm sure just about everybody here knows John 3.16. And up in this way, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It's God, the greatest being, so loved, not just loved, but loved to the greatest extent. The world, that means everybody. No one is excluded. God wants everyone. Do you know what else that means? That means you and I. And you're talking to someone and you can say, well, Paul, God loves you. But God so loved Paul. And you can make it personal that 
way, that he gave. You know, he didn't say, come to me with some offering, get yourself right first, or anything like that. What he did, because he loved the world, is that he gave. And what he gave was his son, the best that he had. And we all know what happened to him. Whoever, again, you, anyone, can come to Christ. If they just believe, right? It's faith. It's trust. It's not trying to be good. It's not joining a church. It's not getting baptized. It's simply putting your faith in Christ, believing him. And you shall not perish. You know what that means? It means eternal death. You're going to avoid that. Being separated from God and everything that's good, you tell that to the person. You explain that. You know what it means. And you tell them they have eternal life if they trust Christ. Not just length of days, but real life. And it starts right now. You know that passage. You can do the same thing with that one verse that I just did. Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. Jesus came to them. Why is that significant? Because not many days before that, he was dead. He'd been crucified. He was buried, and he was in a tomb. And now he's been raised to life, and he came to them. And he met the disciples where they were. And who is it that can have all authority and power? Only God. Who is it who can be with you and all of his people, wherever they are, throughout time, however many they are, Only God. Who is it who should be obeyed completely? Only God. Who is it who can demand all the nations of the earth to follow him? Only God. Who can have his name as part of the name, right side of the Father and the Holy Spirit? Only the Son of God. And because of him, what do we do? We go. We're commanded to go, but we want to go. I want to tell you about the Savior of mine. I want you to know him. I want you to to learn of him and to hear him. We're going to make disciples. You know what that means? It means I have a message to tell you. God loved you. You're a sinner. You're separated from him as sin, but he's provided for that for you. And all you have to do is come to him. We have a message to bring. And you want to know something? Almost any passage you can turn to anywhere in the Bible, you can do something like that. Because the entire scripture from front to back is testifying in one way or another to Jesus Christ. There are better verses than some to use, but there have been people who have come to know Jesus Christ are reading the book of Leviticus or Deuteronomy. Why? Because there's power in the Word of God. You're the messenger. You're the person that God is working in your life. He's making you like Christ. He's calling you to go out. You can tell your story. You can share God's Word. You run into a problem you don't know how to address, say, I'll get back to you. Bring him to me, to another elder, to someone. But do it. Do it. I have one more thing I'm going to do just before I close. 
So there's people in here that, that I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I may have talked to you. I may have met you, but I don't know you intimately. I, I don't know if you really know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And we've been sitting here and we've been talking about about this gospel, about John 3.16 and Matthew 28. And maybe you're sitting there and, and you're thinking, I, I want that. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm separated from God. And I hear what you're saying about the provision he's made and, and, I, and I think he's calling me. Jesus, when he would speak to the people, would often finish and he would make this statement, he who has ears, let him hear. You know what that was? It was an invitation. Jesus is saying, if you have ears, then listen. Come to me and I'll explain it to you. And if you're here today and you're in that position, then I'll say to you, if you have ears to hear, then I want you to hear. So you come see me, or you go talk to another person you know who's a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And then we won't tell you just what we think. We'll take this book, and we'll open it up, and we'll show you how you can know that you belong to Christ forever and your sins are forgiven. Would you pray with me, please? Father, um, my first prayer is... uh, if there really is anyone here today in that situation, Lord, draw them to yourself and continue that process and that they would respond to your word and that they would seek what they need from me or for someone else that they might put their faith in you and live with you forever. And for the rest of us, Lord, help us. Your life gets so busy. Sometimes uh, we almost forget that we've got this commission. And then we're reminded in some manner or another. Sometimes we feel guilty about it. And we don't want to hear. And if we're any of us in that situation, Lord, forgive us. Help us to understand that that guilt is simply a tool to... Help us to draw near to you. And for those of us who simply are forgetting, Lord, remind us. Help us to take it to heart. Help us to begin praying about it. Help us, Lord, to be willing. And then entrust the rest to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.